0: With me this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading the first 10 verses, and we're going to focus on verses 7 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, this is a letter, uh, we're calling this What It Means to Be a Christian, and Paul's been spending the first part of the letter just uh, highlighting the glory of what it means to be a child of God, all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to see uh, why God did it and um, what God intends to accomplish through it. And so let's give our attention to God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's ask his blessing. Father, we thank you that you give the Holy Spirit of Christ to illumine this word. And I pray, Lord, that we today then would hear the voice of our Savior speaking to us and helping us to see how great our salvation is in Jesus Christ. And Lord, transforming us by that Good news, so that we walk as you would, uh, as you please, as you intend. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I read this week about a man named Jerry Cott of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, Jerry unknowingly carried a, a multi million dollar fortune in his back pocket. He had purchased a lottery ticket this past August and uh, put it in his wallet for safekeeping and completely forgot about it. <clears throat> Well, just uh, last month, he was uh, clearing out, cleaning out his wallet and realized that the ticket was still there, and so he took it in, and to his astonishment, discovered that he had won $20 million. Uh, for months, Jerry was walking around with $20 million in his back pocket, and he had no idea. Now, think of the decisions that he made, um, and opportunities that he missed, and fears that he faced, because he was clueless about um, the wealth that actually belonged to him. Uh, Maybe that's you uh, this morning. In fact, I would say that every Christian, to some degree, uh, walks around unaware of the wealth that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Uh, We carry with us a fortune of infinite value, a treasure of lavish grace and eternal glory and honor in Jesus, and we so Often are not aware of it. Uh, it. It fails to function in our life. If someone followed you around and was uh, in, maybe inside your brain listening to all the things you worried about and got upset about, um, would they deduce that you were clearly convinced that you were a precious, beloved child of God, your Heavenly Father, who sovereignly rules over every atom in the universe for His glory and for your good? I doubt that's what people would, would deduce. Uh, we live so often like spiritual orphans when we are, in fact, blood-bought, dearly, uh, dearly beloved and eternally committed to the children of God, committed to the purposes of God. We, we need to uh, have the Scriptures help us understand the glory uh, that belongs to you if you're a Christian. Last week, we, um, we sort of ended up by saying, what should our response to this gospel be? And the response should be, thank God I'm a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for making me a Christian. I hope that you've been praying that way this week. Thank you, Lord, for making me a Christian. That needs to become our identity. I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus Christ. And this morning, uh, we're going to dive into a little more deeply what that means. Paul, as we noted last week, has been trying to highlight the glory of what it means to be a Christian by comparing it, contrasting it to what we used to be like. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not mostly dead, fully dead, right? Spiritually, completely dead to the glory of God, dead to any ability to, uh, to rescue ourselves, rouse ourselves. Uh, we were dead in sin, enslaved to the forces of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were sons of disobedience, objects of divine wrath. That is a really dire picture. And Paul says that's the truth of every person outside of Jesus Christ. But the miraculous good news of the Scripture is that but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us made us alive together in Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Christ, uh, and seated us in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. God is rich in mercy and abundant in love, and that changes everything as God has intervened in our life and rescued us from uh, the deadly peril we were in. And so this morning we're going to continue to unpack what it means to be saved by grace. And we're going to first look at the principle of grace itself, and then, or first, the, the purpose of grace, and then the principle, and then we're going to look at the, the product. What does God intend to accomplish um, through these, this salvation by grace? So first, we're going to ask the question, concerning the purpose of grace, what was God seeking in the salvation of sinners? We just need to recognize, God was under no obligation to rescue mankind. He would have been perfectly just to leave this whole world um, to experience the judgment that we deserve just like He left the world in Noah's day. Right? God has destroyed the whole world before rescuing only a few Um, and, and He was perfectly just to do so. God would have been perfectly just to just leave us to suffer the fire from heaven like the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. There would have been no one who could have protested that God was somehow unjust in doing so. But why didn't he do that? Why did he decide instead to show mercy to rebels and cosmic uh, terrorists like you and me? Why? And why did he decide to do that when he knew it could only happen at the cost of of the life of His own precious Son, Jesus Christ. What could possibly be worth the blood of Jesus the Son of God? Well, this is where modern evangelicals uh, make a a tragic mistake. Um, Most American Christians assume that the answer to that is very simple. The answer is, uh, if you ask, what is worth the blood of Jesus? The answer would be, we are. We're worth it. Um, Many assume that's that's the message of the cross. The cross reveals the greatness of man's value. And so, uh, what was worth the sacrifice of of Jesus? People would say, well, we, we were worth it. I remember a song that I don't hear anymore. I'm, I'm thankful about that. I remember being in a, in a, we were on vacation, we were in a church and they just sang it over and over and it was, it was very difficult for me. Uh, the line, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the cross and thought of me above all. Now that, it's not, it's not heresy. It is just really bad. You took the cross, Jesus, and you thought of me, Dale Van Dyke, above everything else. I am so thankful that's not true. What in God's mind was worth the sacrifice of his son? Paul tells us in verse 7 that God gave his son and made us alive after he put his son to death, and made us alive in Jesus Christ, and seated us with Christ, so that, it's a purpose, right? So that, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that word show can also be translated uh, to demonstrate, to to display, make known, reveal, magnify. Uh, You you find the same word in Romans chapter 9, 17, where Paul says, uh, the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So what does the Scripture say? If you ask the question, why did God raise Pharaoh up? The answer is, to show, magnify His power in defeating Pharaoh so that to the end that God's name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate the glory of His power. you got the same idea in 1 Timothy 1.16. Paul talks about what a wicked man he had been before he was converted. And he says in in, uh, 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy for this reason, purpose. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So if you ask the question, why did God save Paul, formerly Saul, right? that that monster, evil man? He He was an awful, awful man. Persecuting the saints, why did he? Why did he save Paul? And Paul's answer is: He did it to demonstrate, make known, display his perfect patience to save those who were to believe. And so, this morning, you see, if, if you think, if you ever think that God has run out of patience with you, Jesus saved Paul to display to you His infinite patience. That's what the word means. So why did God save sinners like us? Well, Paul says, so that God could display, show, reveal the immeasurable riches of His grace. How do you you display something like grace? You can't display grace to sinless angels. You can show lots of things to sin, sinless angels, but you can't display grace. Because grace, you see, is a, is a kind, loving response to sin. It is a, it's a generous, loving, merciful response to evil. Where evil is, does not receive that which it deserves, but it receives precisely what it does not deserve. Infinite kindness and mercy. And so you see, God's passion is to reveal to men on earth and angels in heaven and demons in hell the the magnificent glory of His immeasurable, infinite, limitless wealth of grace. As He shows infinite kindness to sinners and rebels like us. That's why God saved us. That's his ultimate purpose. His primary purpose in our salvation is not to prove how worthy we are, but how glorious and gracious and good he is. And that's, that's really good news. Some people stumble over this because it just doesn't seem... It seems sort of egocentric on God's part. That he would go through all that effort just to make himself look good. Um, it is egocentric on God's part. Praise God. There's nothing more worthy of glory than God Himself. And let me just ask you this, which heaven would you rather be in? The heaven where we all marvel at how worthy we are, or the heaven where we fall down and worship and praise God for how gracious and glorious He is? Which heaven would you prefer, right? The one where you tell the stories of all that you did to earn this or the one where you tell the stories of all that God did throughout your wicked life to save you and rescue you by grace and grace alone. If you want to go someplace and tell stories about what you did to earn this, then you'll need to go to hell because that's all you'll do for all of eternity. But the gospel is a message about what God has done for God's glory in rescuing sinners like us. That's the purpose of grace. And what about the principle of grace? It's the principle of grace alone. And that's the point that Paul pounds home uh, in these few words, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. In other words, grace completely as the act of God, grace completely devoid of any aiding work, helping work by people. And if we lose the doctrine of grace alone, of course, this was one of the foundational uh, teachings of the Reformation. If you you take the word alone away from grace, whatever grace you're talking about, it's not this grace, it's not gospel grace. If grace is just God's helping you to do what you need to do to earn and gain uh, the rewards of heaven, well, that's that's just a different gospel. Paul's gospel, the Christian gospel, is the gospel, we are saved by the grace of God and nothing else. And we have to just, I think it helps us to recognize how diametrically opposed that is to every other salvation story out there. That salvation by my effort, salvation by human work, right, that's the default operating system in every human heart. And every religion operates on that principle, whether you're a Jew, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, or whatever religion there is in the world, that religion will teach you that there's something that you must do in order to gain salvation. And even those who profess no religion are driven by this same self-effort principle. Everyone feels the need to justify themselves, justify their existence, Uh, prove that they're a good person and so to do that they resort to their works they give maybe money they they uh, volunteer at at a a charity they get involved in some um, you know some some movement that that um, shows that they're on the right side of the issues that's the principle of work and it's it's just everyone operates on that principle we would never have come up with this kind of a gospel. But the principle of grace, you see, is antithetical to the principle of works. You're either saved by grace and grace alone, um, or you're saved by your work, and never by a combination of the two. Uh, Paul says in Romans eleven six, but if it is by grace, salvation, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. This is our quarrel with the Roman Catholic Church. That uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes in grace. They talk about grace. They preach grace. It's the grace that God gives to help you do the things that you need to do in order to merit the reward of heaven. That's a different gospel. Paul wants to pound home the point that we are saved by grace. God's work, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace alone. Notice how he does that in this text, if you have your Bible open. Every word almost gives the same message. We are saved. Uh, We are the recipients of the action, not the performers of it. God is the performer of it. We are saved. We are saved by grace. And pauls he's going to point out, grace means God did it, you didn't. Grace means that it's not what you deserved, it's what flows out of the mercy and kindness of God's heart. We are saved through faith, by grace, through faith. And and faith, you see, is not a work. Faith is the receiving of a work. It's 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 just open, empty hands where you receive what God has done for you. There's no merit in open, empty hands. We're saved by grace, through faith, not of your own doing, lest you didn't get the point. It is a gift from God. Do you you buy your, uh, boys and girls, when mom and dad give you Christmas presents, do they give you a bill at the end of it and say, okay, this costs $333 and, and we expect you to pay by next month? Well, that wouldn't be Christmas, would it? You don't pay for your gifts. Gifts are freely given to you. Otherwise, it's not a gift. Well, that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are His workmanship, not ours. We are created in Christ Jesus. How much work did Adam do to aid in his creation? He didn't do any work. And that's precisely... How much work you did to aid in your salvation. We're God's creation. And so Paul's just pound, 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 pound. Uh, This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. All of your salvation is the gift of God. When he says this is a gift of God, he doesn't just mean faith is a gift of God. That's true, but it's all a gift. So, so Every aspect of your salvation from your election, your regeneration, your justification, your sanctification, your adoption, your glorification, it is all a gift of God. It is all not of your own doing. And the reason Paul's pounding on this point is so that no one may boast. Paul despite despises to the marrow of his bones the idea that sinful people would have the audacity to stand in the presence of this gracious, merciful God and claim any credit for their salvation. It just makes him mad. The audacity of it. After God the Father sent his Son and placed his Son on a cross, the innocent a spotless Lamb of God put Him on a cross that He might bear all the wrath due to our sin and that, that some, some person some sinful man or woman would have the, the audacity to in any way claim any credit for their salvation Paul just wants to stomp all over it no one may boast so that God gets all the glory not some of it, not most of it not the, not, you know, the primary share of it all of it goes to God it was grace and grace alone, you see, that saved a wretch like me. And that saved a wretch like you. You won't find a single soul in heaven who's going to be whispering to you on the side. It was, it was a lot of grace, but I got to tell you, I worked really hard. If you meet that person, <laughs> run to Jesus. Uh, you go tell mom. <clears throat> you see, friends, grace is, um, well, it's so much more than we imagine. Grace is not just God's disposition to be kind. It's not just God forgiving you when you sin. Grace is a whole new world in which we live, a new sphere, a new category in which we stand. So Paul says in Romans 5, 2, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand into this grace in which we stand. So we, we, I think, can sometimes think of God's grace as a, maybe a flow of water from heaven. And we're, when we're doing well, we have the confidence that, that the stream is flowing strong. And when we're failing and struggling and falling into sin, we fear that the stream has dried up. God turned the spigot off. There's no more grace for us. But grace is not a stream, grace is a universe, it's it's a vast ocean that, that God has placed you in the middle of it, you're surrounded by it, and you can't escape it. God's grace doesn't diminish or increase depending on how we're doing. Every child of God is a recipient of all of the grace of God with nothing held back. Now your experience of that grace is going to, is going to change as you surrender to it and and as you as you submit to the the love and the grace of God and follow him but the the reality of God's grace he's not he's not doling it out on on the basis of percentages your your obedience doesn't make it more real your sin can't make it less powerful because you see God's grace is his his Immutable commitment to rescue you in Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you've done, but purely because of what God has done. Grace is God's commitment to bring you into the glory of heaven. His immutable, unchangeable commitment to do that. And to do everything that it takes to make that happen. One writer says that grace is glory in the bud when you, when you see in the springtime little buds on the trees, buds in the flowers, uh, you, you know that, that that's just the beginning and that's going to continue to grow and, 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 and that's going to either bear a, a beautiful fruit or a beautiful flower. Grace is glory in the bud. The principle of glory is already there. And all, the, all that needs to, to, to happen to make that bud bloom into the glory of heaven, God's committed to, Immutably. Grace is a sphere. It's a realm in which you live, in which you stand. And it's always in Jesus. Grace, you could say, is another word for Jesus. Friends, that, that, if, if we grasp the truth about grace, it can make a profound difference in your life. If, if, you, if, we, if we recognize... That grace is what God has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us, all in mercy and grace and kindness, every single day, every single moment of our life, God at work to save us to the uttermost. Because we're saved by grace. And even when God disciplines you, even when God puts you through difficult trials, it is because of love, it is in grace, it is towards your salvation. By grace, you've been saved. You carry around something vastly worth vast, vastly more than $20 million in your pocket. You walk as a Christian with the infinite riches of God's grace to you every single day in Jesus Christ. Now, what's, what is that meant to produce? Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The purpose, God's intent, uh, is to glorify Himself as He creates us in Jesus for good works. When Paul says that we are God's workmanship, the word there is uh, well. We get our word "poem" from that word, that Greek word. It it's the idea of uh, of artistry. It's a word you would use to refer to a, a great painting or, or great piece of music or sculpture it's a mas- it's a masterpiece and, and the Jerusalem Bible actually translates this we are God's work of art. Uh, how many of you feel like a work of art? Just raise your hand. most of us feel like all right, a disaster like the, the, you know the wheels are falling off or um, we' we're just we're just kind of hanging on very very few of us feel like a work of art and yet, The Bible says that that's exactly what we are. We are uh, God's work of art whereby God is displaying the truths about his glory and power and mercy and kindness and grace. The word created has the same idea. If you think about creation, what is creation? Creation is a a masterpiece of of God. Uh, What are the heavens telling? The heavens are telling the glory of God. God is revealing His glory in the things that He has made. And what is true in the natural world is is true in the spiritual world. God has created a church in Jesus Christ as a new creation through which He is displaying to the world and to the the, the forces in the heavenlies the truths about His glory. Paul will say in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, that uh, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Friends, we are created in Christ as a display of divine glory. you got to let that settle in. Because we think we're just kind of busy little people trying to do our best in this failing, falling world and trying to get through to a nice retirement, right? I mean, that's sort of how we live. You've got to wipe that off off the map and and realize the truth. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ created for eternity to be a display of the splendor and the glory of God. Now, how does that happen? Two ways. One, as we've mentioned before, by ascribing all the glory of our salvation to God. So we become witness A. Is God gracious? Yes, He's gracious. Let me tell you how gracious God is. Let me just tell you a story, right? Think about eternity where we get to share these stories with, with um, the insight and, and clarity of a glorified mind. Let, let me tell you the story of the grace of God displayed in the life of Dale Van Dyke. That, that's, that's, it all goes to him, you see. All, all the glory of it. And every failure, every flaw, every weakness in, in my life is, is used by God to display the glory in the, of God, the, the, the patience of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God. That's, a, that's an astonishing thought. But the other way that we display the glory of God in our life is by walking in the good works that He's prepared for us to do. So, so God's intent is, is that we glorify Him by doing good works, not just by being good people. We can get those things confused. Uh, I think the, the, there's an idea in Christendom that to be a good person means you just do or don't do certain things. You go to church, you don't mow your lawn on Sunday, at least um, so I grew up. You don't ride your bike on Sunday, or shoot your BB gun, or go swimming. <clears throat> you do milk cows, but uh, other than that, <clears throat> there's not much you could do. And and we, those th- praise God that, that mom and dad had a sense of that Sunday is for something different. But we can easily think that I you know I don't I don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do. It, we could just limit our our goodness to a variety of things that we do. Being a good person is not what this is talking about. This is talking about good works, good deeds. It's talking about specific acts of practical mercy and conspicuous kindness and sacrificial love for other people. So adoption and fostering are good works that are pleasing to God towards children. Providing for the poor. Mentoring a fatherless teenager. Helping a single mother. Providing work for the underemployed. Caring for the elderly neighbor across the street. Sharing your stuff with other people. You see, these are just ways for us to do good works. Very practical, real things. And God means for us to do good works... For his glory. Jesus says in Matthew five sixteen, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's for his glory. Psalm 23, you know Psalm 23? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me besides the still waters. Well, verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness, good works, why? For His name's sake. God intends to lead you in the paths of good works so that God is glorified. Peter says, 1 Peter 2.12, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. We read earlier in the, ser- in the service, Titus 2.14, where Paul says that Jesus died to redeem for himself, purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Not just zealous to be good people, but zealous to do things that are acts of mercy and kindness and sacrificial love for other people to the glory of God. See, why would Jesus want a people zealous for good works? Because good works glorify God. And Jesus, the passion beating of his heart is to glorify God. That's why he died. That's why we exist. That God might be glorified, not just by his grace to us, but by the power of that grace in us as we walk in the paths of righteousness he's prepared for us. So the question this morning is, What's that going to look like in your life? If you are a recipient of the glorious, infinite grace of God, how is that freeing you from yourself, freeing you from your idols, freeing you from your fears? And how is that moving you to practical acts of kindness and mercy and sacrificial love? Who did you bless this week just because God is great and glorious and just because God has, uh, has made you a Christian and you're the recipient of infinite grace and called to glorify God in, in day-to-day life as you worship, praise Him, and as you bless other people. Friends, this, this gospel of grace is meant to transform our life to move us just not just to be religious people or good people but to move us to be grace saturated people that pour that show the, the, the kindness and the mercy and the love of God that we've received to the people around us and let it start right in your home boys and girls this would look like you sharing your toys happily you might even volunteer to pick up your your, your, your brother's room I know it sounds crazy but That's what grace can do. This might move you husbands and wives to actually confess your sin to each other and forgive each other. Because it's a work that's pleasing to God. It's something that manifests the truth of the gospel. Maybe this this moves you to an act of just unexpected generosity as you see somebody in need and God's given you the ability to meet that need and you write the check and you bless them or maybe more you 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 prayerfully think about adoption and fostering or you think about how God could use you at whatever stage in life you are how could God use your life to display his glory may God give you wisdom as you prayerfully consider it amen oh God in heaven what an amazing thing it is to be a christian to be people who've been rescued from our bondage, and our sin, and who've been called to this glorious new purpose to live for the glory of God. Father, I thank you for all the ways that you magnify your name through the church. I thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have shown your grace in countless ways to us. And Lord God, I pray that we would have a sense of your calling on our life now, your desire that we live a life that is intentionally pursuing zealous for good works, for the glory of God. That we would surprise people with kindness and grace and mercy and love. That they might see something true about our God. They might be moved to glorify Him. Father, I, I pray that we would, we would just see Lives being transformed right here, our own, and marriages and families, as, as, as we lay hold of all that you've done for us and all that you promised for us eternally in Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, and then we live, Lord, in the, in the glorious freedom to serve and love for the glory of God, and we pray that Jesus Christ receive the praise, amen. Let's close together by singing of the grace of God. Would you stand with me? Let's sing.